From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. Hey, we're going to be back in 1 Corinthians today. My name is Greg Sanders. If you're new here today, it's an honor uh, to have the privilege to share with you this morning. Uh, we've been moving systematically through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, verse by verse, and we've been in chapter 7 for a few weeks, and chapter 7 just gives us an incredible amount of real life, where we live material. Uh, some of it is really difficult to face. Some of it is, is pretty strong in what it says. We've dealt with what is healthy sexuality, what is biblical marriage. We've talked about the incredible scrubbing agent that marriages are in our culture, kingdom marriages being a scrubbing agent against immorality. We've looked at divorce and whether or not it's okay. We've looked at what happens when one spouse is saved and the other's not. And, and there's just been a lot of big ticket thi- things that we've studied. And I've had comments come back like, I can't believe you guys actually talk about that stuff, which I think is telling of our day and our time because the reality is it's the scriptures, right? And all scriptures God breathed, all scriptures good for us, all scripture has the ability to help create godliness in us. What, it, what we should have is the courage to come to it with an attitude that says, Lord, I know your plans for me are good, pleasing, and perfect, so I'm going to fearlessly study whatever's there. Well, this morning we come to a passage where the Apostle Paul is shifting gears a little bit and, and he's making a statement that I think connects somewhat to what we've been talking about, but I think there's a bigger idea in it. And I'm going to read that for you and then we're going to dive in. He says, so each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all churches. This phrase should continue to live. The meaning is to tread around or or to walk at large, the word phrase deals with the concept of an ability to own or navigate your territory. Whatever situation the Lord has placed you, the word means literally to have apportioned to or distributed to. And it carries the idea that there's some measure of intentional choice in the heart of God to give us the life situations that we're in. And some of us love that and some of us despise that. This phrase, remain as you were, means in the same manner, proceed. Continue doing what you've been doing. And then there's this phrase, when the Lord first called you, and and the word is kaleo in the Greek, and it means to call out. And it's the idea uh, of your kids being out in a field, and you needed to get their attention, and you holler out at them, hey, come back. It's that moment where the Lord intersects our life. And maybe for some of you this morning, there was that moment where you could feel it in worship, and the Lord was just tugging on you, going, look, I want you back. And then Paul says, and and this is my rule for all churches. And it would be easy to take this verse and say, I think he's just saying about all this marriage and sexuality stuff, just stay where you were whenever Jesus found you and called you out. And I don't think that's a wrong application, but it seems like there's more here because if you remember, 1 Corinthians is dealing with specific questions that they were asking of Paul about specific situations in their life. And so Paul is giving them specific answers and then he shifts gears and says, but there's this other thing that I say to everybody. It's a unilateral rule. I put it in every church I'm in. 
And for me, that causes me to push pause and say, this is a significant idea. Because this is an overarching concept that Paul's teaching this young church. And I think it's an idea that, that for us, if, if we learn how to grab out of it what's in it, it will help us grow in Christ the way we're supposed to. I really think what Paul's talking about are two ideas. And they're really kind of one idea that have two parts. It's contentment and trust. We could take this and just have, I mean, there's a couple applications I'd love to make initially. Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has called you. Remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for for all churches. I think there's a positive and a negative application I want to make first. One is, you come to Jesus. Jesus engages your life. He calls you out. For some of us, it's been recently. For some of us, it was a long time ago. Paul's statement here would cause me to see something. There is a right calling on us to say, in the kingdom, we shouldn't be chasing new sin patterns. We shouldn't be adding new addictions. We shouldn't be doing new ventures into the dark realm. Whatever thing was going on in our life, for the rest of our days, we're just allowing the Lord to help us process through and create good discipleship. Does that make sense? Instead of, because we're bored, chasing more things in, the, in sin. And I I would say it this way, when we don't invest in intimate relationship with Jesus, there's probably a natural reaction, and that is that I'm probably going to invest in sin. The second application I would see is probably the one I want to spend the most of the morning on. Don't go chase a new acceptance standard. Say, what are you talking about? A new acceptance standard. Let me show you. Paul uses these two examples. He says, for instance, a man who was circumcised before it became a believer shouldn't try to reverse it. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer shouldn't, should not be circumcised now, for it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God first called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. Remember, if if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you're now free in the Lord. And if you're free when the Lord called you, you're now a slave to Christ. And these two examples, these are interesting examples. It's odd to me. Why would Paul pick circumcision? Any man that was listening to this teaching or was reading this teaching would instantly have an incredibly poignant connection with this idea. Why would he pick slavery? It's an interesting concept. It seems like there would be several other ways Paul could have communicated this. And let me define this word slavery because we would instantly connect with abject servitude where someone's life is owned by another and they have no choice in the matter. And yes, that that is one of the connection points that the, uh, the word holds. But there's still another idea that it can actually be voluntary servitude as in employment. The word carries both meanings. What Paul's talking about is a condition of being under someone's authority. And he uses these two examples. You know, to, the, to the circumcised, those who were circumcised before Jesus, don't try to change it. The person uncircumcised now, don't try to change it. Are you a slave? 
Why these two examples? Circumcision. Here's why I think it's this example. Circumcision is measurable and tangible. And we and those around us are almost always looking for ways and things that we can highlight and identify to grade our godliness. And in this young culture, that was happening. People were coming into the kingdom and there would be those that were in the church saying, yeah, but you're not circumcised. And there was others of a different point of view that would say, yeah, but you're circumcised and if you were really free, you wouldn't be. And they were saying to them, we want to add something to your life. We need you to do this one more step. Just here's, the, here's a hurdle. Hey, it's a, it's a low hurdle or a high hurdle, depending on your perspective. But you know what? Go ahead and jump. And Paul's answer to them is he, he, he talks about this desire to put in a, a tangible something we can point at and grade. And he calls them back to an understanding that really what's hidden in this is grace is like yeast when we put it in bread. We know it's in there, but we really don't know what it's doing and we really don't know how to measure it. It's there. And Paul just says, look, it doesn't matter. What actually matters when we're looking at this desire for people to put externals on us, what really matters is are you listening to the voice of the Lord? Are you living in step? Because he says... It makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Are you living in step with the voice of the Lord? This is where we grade ourselves. Am I living in a relationship with Scripture to where I'm allowing the government of God to lead me? Am I living in a relationship with His voice where I'm allowing Him to guide me? You say, well, I just listen to the voice. Uh, that's wrong. These two tensions are necessary. All scriptures God breathed. That's what, the, that's what the word says. We walk in alignment with that, and then we live in relationship with his voice. I just read the word. See, that's, that's, a, that's a, a less than perfect stance. Got to have both. I think there's a native desire in all of us to try to make ourselves more pleasing to God. Would you agree with that? How many regularly feel like I'm just not blank, fill in the blanks? You feel that sense of weight and shame. But see, grace fights this because grace teaches us to trust Jesus. And Paul's calling to them is, I want you to stay in this place you're in where you just accept his love, and his work in your life. One of my favorite authors, I've been reading him since I was 16, a guy named Brennan Manning. He wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, and then he wrote another book prior to that called The Stranger to Self-Hatred. Now, if you're wired like I am, self-hatred's been a really valuable tool for me in my lifetime because I've used it to drive myself. I've used it to convince myself that I wasn't hard, working hard enough and I wasn't doing enough. And if I just wasn't such a slacker, I could do better. And so I've allowed that internal motivation to create both ulcers and good work ethic. 
And I let that, that native drive of really feeling, to be honest, a lot of shame and a lot of brokenness in me, I let it like drive me and push me. Anyone else like me where you've just never accepted anything but excellence from yourself? And, and it really wasn't out of a healthy standard, it was more out of a broken place? So one of my mentors hands me this book. He says, I think you need to read this. It was a tough read. Um, little old English. I mean, he, the, Brendan Manning was a Catholic priest, um, highly educated. But there's one phrase in this book that jumped out at me from 16, and I've been wrestling with it for 28 years. Live in the wisdom of accepted tenderness. Live in the wisdom of accepted tenderness. And I would love to give that to you and challenge you with it. What's that mean? Church, he loves us because he loves us. It's his own choosing. It's not because of what we do. He loves you because you're his. And all those whispers inside of you that tell you, I need to do more, I need to keep going, I should, I should, stop. Take a breath and allow the fact that you matter to the Father because you're his to impact you and live in that place. Wake up every day and say, you love me. I can't figure it out, but you do. It's what you said. Behold what manner of love the Father's given to us that he's called us sons and daughters, and we really are. This is 1 John. What happens if I let go of that drive? I might become lazy. I doubt it. Because the more I'm captured by him, the more I become like him, and I don't think he's lazy. Neither do I think he's driven. I think he's wonderful. And I think he loves to spend his life his, 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 and give his grace away. And he, and he loves to do great stuff, and that's what happens to us. But Paul's talking to them about this dangerous illusion in the church you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. We've had a rule here forever from the beginning. And Pastor Ben and I first started this, we were wrestling with this word discipleship. And discipleship was presented to us as some young people saying, you need to tell us what to do and how to live. I'm like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. Guess what? My name's not Jesus. What do you mean? Now, I'm, before you freak out and go, oh, he doesn't believe in discipleship. I do believe in discipleship. But I believe discipleship is this. My job is to walk alongside you and say, hey man, what's the Lord saying to you? What's the Lord showing you in scriptures? What's he highlighting? Yeah, do that. Yeah, but what if I see things that need to change? You see, what was happening here is they were calling for things that the Lord wasn't calling for and they were putting a burden on people. And Paul's like, time out, that's not right. The Holy Spirit is very, very capable of leading us. So Paul says what matters is that you're in step with the commandments of the Lord. This word commandments, broader than just rules, it means the communication of God. And he uses this word slavery because I think there's, a, there's another side of this where there's a restlessness in all of us at times that is derivative of our sin nature. And we will justify it and classify it differently but in the end, what it really deals with is trust. And here's where it breaks down. Can I trust him enough to choose contentment in whatever life situation I'm in? 
even when I don't like my circumstances, can I trust his leadership enough to say, I'm remaining where you have me until you open a door for me to get out? Because what we see in our culture, what we see in, in, in other people's lives is this dangerous thing where, where there's, there's so much unsettledness that we will jump ship on the process of God. And sometimes it is the difficulties that God would call us to walk in that he's going to use to refine our character, to coach us, to train us, and to cut the things away from us that need to be taken away. There's a place that God calls Israel when they're nomadic. He calls them to a place called Gilgal. It's an interesting word in the Hebrew. The word in the Hebrew means a place of cutting. It's a moment in Israel's life where they're coming back to him and the Lord says, okay, I need to deal with things in you that have to be cut away. I'm going to, what they did was they recircumcised the entire nation at that moment. I'm sure it was a really happy moment. It was a, and it was poignant because what the Lord was saying is, you've strayed from me, I need to deal with you, cut things away from you. And he was using a physical circumstance to communicate a spiritual principle to them. Can you imagine what would happen if all of those men in the culture at that time had said, no way, not me, I'm getting out? They would have missed the plan of God in their life. And when we jump ship on the process of God and the circumstances we're in, so what if work's not great? It's where the Lord has you. It's where he's provided for you. Learn to live there with joy and gladness. And when the Lord opens the door, then we move out. That's what Paul's teaching here. Do I trust him enough to give him authority to lead me? in everything I do? Or am I going to view this life as mine to lead and I'm just going to chase whatever whim I want to chase when it suits me? Do we see the danger there? Submission to the authority of his lordship is always something that I bring to the table. It's never something that he, man- that he will step in and press down on me. But he will ask all the time, Can I lead you? Can I lead you? So Paul's answer to to that tendency is be faithful where you're at. Just be faithful. Just continue to be faithful. And if the Lord opens the door for you to move out, don't overthink it. Go ahead. All of these things draw us down to this last little phrase, which is what I think Paul's really digging at, which is, hey, God paid a high price for you. Consider that just for a second. God, what price did he pay for us? Okay, in church, there's always one answer that works, and this is your moment to get the test right. What price did he pay for us? Oh, come on, you should all know this. With confidence, what price did he pay for us? Consider the highness of that price. Consider the gravity of that price. Consider what that price says. If we believe in an exchange-based economy for God to say, I'm going to sacrifice something to purchase another. No one spends something, gives money, gives resource, unless they think they're getting a deal back. Consider this. The father thought giving Jesus in exchange for you was a good deal. Come on, that should just cause everybody in the room to go, are you serious? Behold what manner of love the Father's given to us. That he thought his son was an equitable exchange for me. 
So Paul says, God paid a high price for you. Understand, you matter. Your life matters to God deeply. So much so that he gave Jesus as a ransom for it because he had a plan for you and a purpose for you and an intention for you and you matter to him. You're not just a random number and he just did a blanket statement for all. Every single individual matters. Jeremiah says, behold, the plans I have for you. I know what's in my heart for you. It's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect, it's a future, it's a hope. Because you matter to me. So Paul says, I paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved to the world. Can I suggest an idea? Discontentment and distrust are instruments of the enemy to enslave us. And if he can cause me to become so discontented with the leadership of God and so distrusting of the character of God that I will jump at every whim and I will go AWOL from the purpose and plan of God, then he has made me a slave and he can control me. Because he'll just bring fresh opportunities in front of me. Ooh, I'm gonna go there. All the while, I'm walking in a circular pattern that's accomplishing nothing instead of staying the course with who God's called me to be. So how do we remain in trust and contentment? What's it look like to live this out? Three simple ideas for you. Number one, each of you should continue to live. I want you to, number one, consider who's actually in control. If God's really in control, why would I not trust him as the leader of my life? This same Paul writes in Philippians chapter one, we can be confident in this, that he who began the work in us He's faithful to complete it. He is faithful to complete it. It's not measured on, I don't know, am I getting this right? Just stay connected to him. The kingdom of God is really quite simple. I spend time with him and I do what he says. That's all it is. Whether that time's in the scriptures, whether that time's face to face, both and are great. The second thing is I want you to consider that Paul says, don't let that worry you, talking to the people that are in slavery. And this word, let that worry you, the idea is to give power to something. Consider you have a choice in contentment or discontentment. We are either choosing to be content with him and his leadership. It's a mental posture that I take to say, I know all your ways are holy. I know all your ways are kind. I know your plans for me are good, pleasing, and perfect. So while in this moment, in this present situation, I don't feel the warm fuzzies of it, I'm staying put until you open a door for me to walk away. When I feel about myself like I'm just awful and I need to do more, I'm just going to trust what you've said about me. And the third thing is I want you to consider his counsel. Consider who's in control. Consider you have a choice and consider his counsel. Could I suggest something that's it's strong in its statement? Discontentment and distrust are rooted in a genuine disappointment in his leadership. 
When I allow myself to walk in discontentment, when I allow myself to walk in distrust, what I'm actually saying with my behavior is I'm disappointed with where you've put me and I'm disappointed with how you led me. I would never say that. Not out of our mouth we wouldn't. But our life says a lot more than we want to give credit to. And so my advice is when we feel that, how many understand that it takes a person of character to talk to somebody about something instead of about them about something? Right? Fundamental principle of life. It's much better to walk up and say, hey, can we have a conversation? There's something going on between us. So have the courage to talk to God about how disappointed you are in his leadership. Have the moxie to have that moment where you sit down and go, hey, you, can you and I talk? I'm really frustrated with where you're leading me, how you're leading me with the situation you've put me in. Oh, I can't do that. Why? When did anyone tell us we were intended to naively, blindly navigate this life alone? Didn't Jesus say, hey, my sheep hear my voice? What happens if every moment of discontentment and distrust, we just sit down with him, we pull into the secret place, whatever that looks like for us, and we ask him two questions? Am I where you want me in life? Because I'm wrestling with it right now. I don't know if I'm where I'm supposed to be and I'm struggling. And we allow the voice of the Lord to calm us. The second question is, when I feel that desire to change myself and, just, and I'm feeling all that condemnation, just ask him, are you pleased with me? What if he says no? Great, wouldn't you want to know that? What if he says, I want you to work on this? Great, because every time the Lord speaks, there's faith in the words that are promoting us to action. And every word the Lord speaks, when I follow it, I am an authentic disciple because the voice of the Lord is leading me. Let's stand this morning. And Father, we stand before you this morning humbled and honored in honor of who you are. Contentment and trust. Big ideas for us to walk in. Lord, for every person in this room right now that's been wrestling with discontent at life circumstances, I just cry out right now that there would be both the invitation, they'd feel it, to talk to you, and there'd be a supernatural grace to trust you. Lord, to every shame, every word of shame, every word of condemnation, every every self, self-loathing, all of that stuff that the enemy uses against us right now, just speak grace to it. And ask you minister to the hearts of your church, the hearts of your kids, and that the smile of heaven would, would be a revelation to this room today. And we love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.